Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen, and I'm joined today by Jill Stanek. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me, Colleen. I'm really excited for this conversation today. So you've been involved in the pro-life movement for about 25 years, I think we were just saying. Can you just begin by sharing your story for our listeners, for anyone who may not have heard it or who does know it but wants to know more of the details? Sure. Um, Start by saying that I wasn't involved in the pro-life movement. I was just personally pro-life. Okay. Uh, didn't want to uh, be one of those crazies, which I quickly became after I got involved in the movement. But I went to work at Christ Hospital in the southwest side of Chicago, um, thinking that I would be safe from moral and ethical dilemmas like abortion, mm-hmm. because I myself didn't want anything to do with it. Um, because who would think that a hospital named Christ could be involved in such a thing, right? Exactly. And you were a nurse? I was a nurse. Um, I was. Uh, I started out on a heart floor, and then I transferred to where I always wanted to work, and that was labor and delivery. And I worked in the labor and delivery department for a year, without knowing that abortion was going on around me very quietly. But I found out in report one night that we were aborting a second trimester baby with Down syndrome, and that's the first I heard that this was going on. And um, found out that the method of abortion that we're talking about is called induced labor abortion. And that is wherein uh, a physician inserts a medication into the birth canal that stimulates the cervix to open early. The cervix is the opening at the bottom of the uterus that's supposed to stay closed until the mom is about 40 weeks pregnant. Mm -hmm. And that's what opens and that's when the baby is delivered. In these cases, um, oftentimes at Christ they would find out that there was something wrong with the baby and in this, like the second trimester ultrasound, these were usually wanted babies. And then in that case, they would recommend abortion. And at that point, because we're talking second trimester, third trimester, going as late as 28 weeks by my experience, which was seven months, the babies are fully developed and just a regular um, DNC type abortion just is impossible. Mm-hmm. So they induce labor, expecting the baby to be um, to die during the birth process or soon afterwards, because even though the babies are fully formed, they're still very mature, immature, and they usually die of. Well, it's listed on their death certificates that they die of extreme prematurity. They can't; they're not made to breathe mm-hmm. um, this early on. So I found out that this method was going on at the hospital. I found out that if babies were aborted alive, because that could happen here, because they didn't kill the babies ahead of time, that they would just be left to die in the hospital's department's soil utility room. And you can jump in and and stop me and ask any questions along the way. I do not mind. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask, is that type of abortion, was that legal back then? Yep. And it's still legal. Really? Um, Yeah. in fact, it's the second half of the um, RU46 abortion, the um, the uh, medica- the chemical abortions that we know about today. In the chemical abortion, um, there's a pill given to a mom to kill the baby before they induce labor. They induce labor with the same medication that they use um, to just induce the labor of a baby, um, the second or third trimester baby, and not killing the baby. So, yeah, the procedure has been around a while. Um, And I'll also add that 
sometimes in abortion clinics, the abortionist will, in, in these very abortions I'm talking about now, second and third trimester, they will kill the babies ahead of time by injecting a medication into the baby's heart mm-hmm. or into the baby that causes instant cardiac arrest. That's not the same medication that we're talking about with the chemical abortions that are done early on, but the effect is still the same. They, they kill the baby ahead of time. At Christ Hospital and other hospitals I'm aware of, they didn't kill the baby ahead of time. So I found out this was going on. I knew that I was going to have to do something, but I sat on it, procrastinated until one night, uh, my best friend who was pro-life, but thought that she should help in these abortions to give these moms compassionate care, told me that she had just been involved in, in a baby um, and in uh, an abortion that the baby had been aborted because he had Down syndrome and survived. And she was taking the baby to the soiled utility room to die because the parents didn't want to hold him and she didn't have time to hold him that night. And when she told me what she was doing, I couldn't bear the thought of this suffering child dying alone. And so I cradled and rocked him for about the 45 minutes that he lived. He was about the size of my hand. He weighed about a half a pound. And um, he didn't move very much because he was using all of his energy attempting to breathe. And I remember toward the end of his life, I couldn't tell if he was alive or not unless I held him up against the light to see if I could see his heart beating against his chest wall because our skin is very thin at that age. And after he was pronounced dead, I folded his little arms across his chest. I tied them together with a little string. I wrapped him in a shroud and I took him to the hospital morgue where we took all of our dead patients. And after I held that baby, the weight of what I knew was going on at the hospital just became too much for me to continue not doing anything about. So... I had two choices, obviously. One was to leave Mm -hmm. and one was to stay and fight. And while I was seeking counsel from my pastor and reading scripture and praying, a passage um, just jumped out at me, Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, which I'm sure is familiar to many of your um, viewers. And that is, it says, rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to death. Don't stand back and let them die. Mm -hmm. Don't try to disclaim responsibility by saying that you didn't know. For the Lord who knows all hearts knows you knew, and he will reward everyone according to his deeds. Mm -hmm. So I thought those were my marching orders. I was called to stay and fight what I knew was going on in the hospital. And that's kind of the, the beginning of how everything started. This was in 1999, 25 years ago. Wow. Yeah, I knew the vague outlines of the story, but I didn't know the whole thing. That is so heartbreaking. You said that a lot of the abortions are happening because of like fetal abnormalities. Was that what you said at this hospital, that a lot of times they would find something quote unquote wrong with the baby and that's why these mothers were getting abortions? Um. Yes. At Christ Hospital, um, they would abort for fatal and non-fatal anomalies, handicap. They would abort for life or health of the mother. But of course, you and I know that the health of the mother um, definition is wide enough to, to drive a Mack truck through. 
-hmm. and they would um, perform selective reduction, meaning that if a mom was pregnant with more than one baby, they would offer to um, take the number down Mm -hmm. and also for rape incest. But the caveat I'll add here is that while um, a lot of people on the other side try to say that these late-term abortions are only committed for these sorts of reasons, mm-hmm. um, I'll send you a Washington Post article that was written just a couple of years ago that says that um, their finding was most of the reasons that moms get late-term abortions are the same reasons that moms get for early abortions. You know, they just waited too long. Well, and we have so, um, an ebook that we do that's called Why We Don't Need Abortion Even for the Hard Cases and saying why rape and incest and fetal abnormalities in the life of the mother, why those are never reasons that a woman needs an abortion. So. Right. Of course, those are never reasons. Um, but just to reiterate, um, that isn't usually the reason mm-hmm. that these moms are getting these abortions, even though uh, people think that this is kind of like a a pseudo compassion. They think that they're being kind to the moms by, um, let's just say a mom finds out that there's something wrong with her baby 16, 20 weeks in, Mm -hmm. not having her have to um, carry that baby for the next 16 to 20 weeks. Mm -hmm. But that is wrong thinking. It is not compassionate to the mother. Of course, it's not compassionate to the baby because the only safe, warm, environment, loving environment that baby is ever going to live in is in utero. But as far as a mom goes, I've had plenty of moms tell me that they were sorry that they aborted their baby with a handicap. Um, But I've never had a mom say she was sorry that she delivered and did the right thing. And the maternal, proper maternal thing to do is to hold your baby, love your baby and care for your baby as long as that baby is alive, whether in utero or out of the ur- out of the uterus. Yeah. And especially with Down syndrome, children with joy- Down syndrome are so, or adults, individuals with Down syndrome are so yeah. joyful. And there's stats from, I think it's Dr. Scott Go saying that I think it's about 98% of them are happy with their lives. 98% of them, like they're just, and that's not statistics that you see in the average everyday population. Imagine if everyone in the world, 98% of us were completely happy with our lives and wouldn't change a thing. That yeah. is much higher. We see the mental health crises going on all over our world. And I, individuals with Down syndrome are such a great example of joy and happiness. And it's it's a shame that we're killing anybody. But I think it's just particularly the the irony there that is so, is so heartbreaking. You really hit it, Colleen. Um, these kids, these adults are happy. And in, in fact, um, you may be familiar with Randy Alcorn. He's a, he's a um, prolific pro-life writer, but he also writes fiction. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book several years ago, a fiction book. And he said that in heaven, people with Down syndrome are the teachers. And this could make you cry to think about what they could show us, you know, about being happy with simple things, about seeing the bright outlook in life. You know, they really are the wise ones among us. And um, we're just so blind to that. Yeah. I was surprised by one thing you said about how parents would, you said that the parents didn't want to hold the child and the nurse didn't have time to hold the child. Was that something common with the abortions that were happening where the parents would want to hold their child before the child died? 
No, okay. it was not common as you as you might imagine. And there were often times when um, a mom didn't even realize that her baby could be aborted alive. Uh, there was an instance that um, my another nurse co-worker told me about of a mom who thought she was aborting a handicapped baby, mm-hmm. um, delivered a, you know, delivered a completely healthy baby and was went hysterical and screamed for someone to help her baby. And my friend ran over to the neonatal unit, grabbed the neonatologist. He came rushing back. He quickly assessed the baby and uh, he told the mom, there's nothing I can do for your son because he was born too soon. Mm -hmm. And the mom was so traumatized. She had to be tranquilized. And it was left up to this little guy's grandmother to rock him for the only half hour that she would ever spend with him. So this was an example of, of just of, of not giving clear um, outcomes, helping people understand what, what was going on. You know, they you know a lot of, and then the ones who did know didn't want anything to, to do with their baby most times. Mm-hmm. I'll add that, um, jumping ahead a little bit, I eventually went public. Mm-hmm. When Christ had, I tried privately to appeal. I guess I'll pick up the story. Yeah, um, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah. So found out this was going on, decided we had to do something. Um, my pastor and I wrote a letter to 70 churches and pro-life organizations in the Chicago area and around the country, letting them know what Christ Hospital was up to. And that's what he promised Christ he would do if they didn't mm-hmm. stop. And it was that letter that triggered all immediate public outcry because people didn't know about this method of abortion and learning about it and then learning that it was happening at a hospital named Christ was so inflammatory mm-hmm. that, um, you know, before I knew it, I was being interviewed from one end of the country to the other and in very, or being asked to speak. And whenever I would speak or when I would be on an interview, invariably someone would come up to me or call into the radio station and say that they knew this was going on at their hospital. Mm-hmm. So it it was not rare. So when I went public, at the very same time I went public, there was a bill in the works in the on the federal level called the Born Alive Infants Protection Act. Mm-hmm. Someone saw the day coming when abortion would leave the uterus. And we'd now be talking about abortion survivors, letting them die, killing them. And this is a simple three-sentence bill that said any baby um, born alive, no matter what gestational age, no matter what reason for being born, was a constitutionally protected person. And they asked me to testify for this bill. I went and testified, and one of my coworkers, Allison Baker, testified with me as well. Um, and the bill was signed into law um, in, on August 31st, 2002. I got fired before that. After I went public, I stayed at the hospital for two years um, because my thinking was that, like, even though I didn't know what I was getting myself into, God knew it. Mm-hmm. And that for me to abandon my post at that point would be to kind of um, abandon my post, not, not, not follow through. And I I decided then I was going to let God take me out, so to speak. So I stayed for two years. Um, I was put on final warning twice. I was on final warning the whole time. I got anonymous hate mail, had my picture cut up. It it became uncomfortable at work, very uncomfortable at work. Mm -hmm. People would stop talking when I come in the room, all of that. Stop getting invited to the graduations and weddings and stuff. Mm -hmm. 
but all that said, like that was nothing compared to it was it was really nothing compared to I didn't even break a fingernail through that whole time. So, um, you know, it was unfun, but um, it wasn't there wasn't there wasn't no martyrdom there. You know, people I people every day go through so much more for the cause of Christ. So I don't mean to like um, try to make people feel sorry for me because, you know, I, I, but I, I was, I was not happy and didn't want to be there. And uh, finally that final night as I came to the hospital through those, I worked midnights Mm -hmm. and uh, just said, Oh God, how long are you going to make me do this? So this is August 31st, 2001. And I, um, got fired. I, my boss was waiting for me at the time clock, it, which is an ominous sign when your boss is waiting for you to Friday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got terminated and escorted out of the hospital with security guards. It was all very exciting. And um, my termination even made page two of the New York Times, you know, just so I want to be famous for getting fired. But after I got fired, my life had already taken a turn into pro-life activism Mm -hmm. and that's where i that's where i've i've stayed in that lane for the the following 25 years what happened when you approached the hospital about this before you wrote the letter how did they respond did you try to take this to authorities was it legal what what did that look like good questions all um the response i got from i was calling after i wrote this letter Mm -hmm. i and saw what i'd wrote what I'd seen. I was called in for a meeting with my department superiors mm-hmm. and they told me that they weren't going to stop. They, that they'd been uh, committing this abortion for 20 years clandestinely. There was no policy in place at the time, which is really bad. Mm-hmm. And, um, I might be, you know, I might want to go to a hospital that was more in line with my pro-life convictions, but, uh, you know, I said I, I wasn't going to leave. I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, f- from one day to the next, I didn't know what I was going to do. Just kept putting my one foot in front of the other. But I, I stayed. So um, on the question of legality, I mentioned to you that on the federal level, the Born Alive Act was introduced. Mm-hmm. Well, once news of, about what was going on at Christ Hospital became public here in Illinois, which is where I live, mm-hmm. um, in, uh, legislation was introduced here in the state house that would ban that method of abortion too. And the Illinois attorney general was um, alerted. He uh, had the Illinois department of public health look into it and uh, they found some infractions, but they said Christ hospital wasn't doing anything illegal. So the legislation was introduced. Um, that's where I ran into state Senator Barack Obama at the time. He was the only state senator to speak against the bill on the Senate floor two years in a row. He voted against it four times. The fourth time he voted against it, he was the head of a committee. They sent it to his committee on purpose. Mm -hmm. And um, he voted against the identical bill that passed in the federal level, identically worded bill. So it could be said that Barack Obama, um, the future U.S. Senator Barack Obama, was more pro-abortion, more pro-infanticide than any of his future colleagues. Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, Ted Kennedy, Dick Durbin, Joe Biden, all voted voted for the Born Alive Act, but but he didn't in in the state of Illinois. So that answers that question on legality. Yeah, that was 
that was it. Is that bill still in place on a federal level? I feel like I should know about that, but I also remember that I heard that there was a similar bill being introduced last year, yeah. so I wasn't sure if something changed. Yeah, the next logical question would be, since this happened 25 years ago, yeah. the Born Alive Act has passed, is this still going on? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and a great case in point happened just five years ago this month, Governor then Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, who was a pediatric neurologist, mm-hmm. was um, on an interview and he said, I pulled the quote, he was talking about third trimester abortions. And remember, he's a pediatric neurologist. Mm-hmm. So I, it sounds to me like he's been in the room. He said the infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. The infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. That is an induced labor abortion. Yeah. you The baby survives. You keep the baby comfortable, which didn't even happen all the time at Christ, but okay. Mm-hmm. And but then you would decide whether you want to resuscitate the baby or not. So that was a clear indication, like, this is going on. It's prevalent. Was there anything that could have been done for the baby that you held? No, the baby I held was um, too young. The bronchial t- tubes won't, weren't even fully formed yet mm-hmm. to, like, be able to um, enable the baby to breathe. But a lot of babies could. And to answer your question about, is this still legal? It's still legal. Mm-hmm. And there has been a bill introduced called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Yeah. This was about, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Okay. And um, I told you that the Born Alive Infants Protection Act was just a three-sentence bill. Mm-hmm. Defined what it means to be born alive in the U.S. and that you're a legal person if you are. Mm-hmm. There were no penalties attached. There was no, if you, if you violate this, uh, this is going to happen to you. Yeah. Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act adds prosecution to the people involved. Even if you're in the room mm-hmm. and you know that this is going on, you see a, an abortionist, you know, doing bad things with born babies, shoving them aside or even, even outright killing them, you're liable too. Um, to be prosecuted, to be civilly penalized, to get fines, and for the mom to turn around and sue you, because which may seem um, counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of these moms don't necessarily know what's going on. Plus, they've been a lot of them may have been told that there's something wrong with their babies, and then they come to find out there's nothing wrong with their babies. You know, they were which happens a lot, a lot of false diagnoses. Um, so that, that this bill has been held up. First, it was held up by Nancy Pelosi when she was um, Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. And now the House is in Republican hands and it's passed in the House. But meanwhile, now the Senate, um, you have to have a 60 vote threshold mm-hmm. uh, to defeat the filibuster. And now the uh, Democrats in the Senate are holding up the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. So these babies still don't have um, definable protections specifically aimed at them. There's laws that kind of protect born people, but my experience is that um, there's this gray area of prosecutors. And there was just one in Illinois I talked to a few weeks ago 
that if a baby may not be viable, should they still be able to sue or to prosecute someone who killed, you know, who delivered that baby, aborted that baby alive? Mm -hmm. But the fact I keep pointing out is it doesn't matter if a baby's viable or not. And you may not even know if that baby's viable if you're just setting the baby to the side and not assessing um, whether there's something wrong with that baby, whether the baby was the same age or the same weight that you thought it was because weights and dates are so wrong. You know, how often do you ever hear of a baby being born on his or her due, her due date, you know, so rare. And then you're told the baby's going to weigh seven pounds and the baby weighs nine pounds or vice versa. So you don't know what you have until you see the baby. Mm-hmm. So, um, just because they might find out later that the baby wasn't viable, it, it, it has it has no impact on the Born Alive Act. But that's hard to get people to think through. Yeah, that was the act I was thinking of because I had Robin Sertel on the podcast um, and she survived an abortion and she was on last year and she'd mentioned that had just passed the House. So that's why I was confused. So I didn't realize that they were two different bills and this one in, involves prosec- prosecution. Yeah. Well, I knew they were different ones. I didn't know. One year ago, what abortion survivor? Uh, Robin Sertel. Oh, I haven't heard of her. Oh, I have to look up that podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a really well, good one. She was, she was really cool. <laughs> um, how have the laws and the policy, like the public attitude on this changed in the past 25 years? Do you find that there's more protection for children now or are things about the same as they were 25 years ago? Well, with the Dobbs decision, mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago, that totally changed the landscape. Now, abortion isn't mandated on the, the law of the land that every state is forced to commit abortions. And I think there's about, you may know better than me, Colleen, there's about 13, 15 states now that mm-hmm. have um, outlawed banned abortions or, or most abortions. Um, I guess what we're finding is if you can judge by all of the f- defeats we've had for um, constitutional amendments in the states, either pro-life or pro-abortion, the pro-life ones are getting defeated, mm-hmm. the pro-abortion ones are getting passed, that says that um, people are invested in abortion. It's been around now for so long that people know somebody who's had an abortion. Of course, they may have had an abortion. Their mom may have had, they know people. And also um, the pro-life movement has done a really good job of educating people on the humanity mm-hmm. of the pre-born. But our politicians, the people with the bully pulpits, and I would I would go on to say pastors and priests to, you know, from the church pulpit, haven't been talking about abortion enough in the sanctity of life. And so I think it's still gray in a lot of people's minds. Mm -hmm. So we have advanced definitely by having Roe v. Wade overturned, Mm -hmm. but it has revealed other problems. And those other problems are lack of education and also wanting the backup. People say, you know, oh, abortion isn't birth control, but yeah, it is. It's backup birth control. Yeah. That's another topic we talk a lot about, about how contraception creates the abortion mentality. 
It does. It really does. Yeah. Um, did you continue nursing after you were fired from the hospital or did you decide to go the route of pro-life advocacy? I stuck with pro-life activism. Um, there was a pro-life CEO. I didn't even, I didn't even apply anywhere, but I did a pro-life CEO of a hospital that's pretty local said, Jill, if you, if you need a job, let me know. Mm -hmm. But no, my life had taken this, this turn into speaking and um, writing on it, like you mentioned, I had a blog, uh, and just really being consumed by the pro-life issue to the, you know, not wanting to do anything else with my life, but that, and I thought that's where God had led me to anyway. Yeah. So no, I didn't ever get back into it. He works in mysterious ways. <laughs> yeah, he does. What advice would you have for pro-lifers who are either working in the medical field now or are going to be going into the medical field for either avoiding situations like this, helping prevent them or calling out them, what, what would you say to them? That's another great question. And the answer is, um, any person applying to work at a hospital or a doctor's office, and I don't care if you are a medical professional or if you want to be a, a staff secretary or you want to, um, work in housekeeping or, um, you want to work in maintenance you find out if that hospital is committing abortions and don't just buy the name of the hospital, Christ hospital. Don't buy, you know, you do your homework. And if that hospital is committing abortions, don't go to work there because you, there's two reasons, many reasons, two, two real um, pop out reasons not to go to work at a hospital that aborts because you being in your spot frees up somebody else to help with abortions in another part of the, if the hospital maintenance, cleanup, nursing, doctors, whatever. And also some small part of your salary is coming from abortion. You're, you're complicit. Now then you might, the other, the other flip of the coin is you're saying, well, then why didn't you quit Jill? If you find yourself in the situation that I did of being naive, just stumbling over it, you too have two choices. And I really think either choice is okay. If you decide you don't want to stay there and fight, okay, but let them know why, why you're quitting. Make it, let them know that abortion is a handicap for them. And of course, the other option is to stay and fight, you know, and publicize what was going on there, which um, I felt drawn to do but that doesn't necessarily mean that other people will be, you know, also taking personalities into consideration and um, knowing that, you know, I have a little problem with authority and I can be passive aggressive. You know, God can channel <laughs> channel our faults into good things every now and then. So there's a lot to take into consideration. But the biggest advice would be don't even start to work at one of those hospitals. Don't even think it's okay or a doctor's office that's pro-abortion. Just don't even start. So obviously pro-lifers should still be involved in the medical community because we don't want our only doctors to be people that also commit abortions. So would you just recommend that they look for hospitals that are adhering to pro-life values? Yep. Simple as that. Because mm -hmm. obviously there's a lot of life-affirming care that they can offer. So just making sure that it's being done in a way that you're not benefiting from the killing of babies. Right. Yeah. Even indirectly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think that was most of my questions. I don't really have any left. Um, yeah, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so, so interesting to hear about this. Thank you very much, Colleen. And the time really flew. You're, you had really good questions. So thank thanks for having me on. Um, you and I discussed earlier that what happened to me is 25 years old now. Yeah. And uh, so I appreciate uh, you bring this information to a younger group of people that may not have, have heard of, about what's going on and to help them understand that this is a relevant topic and you've interviewed um, abortion survivors. So this is a, this is a component of the pro-life movement. That's very important. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, please like subscribe, leave us a five-star review and check out the new eBooks we have coming out. Thank you. And keep on living a culture of life. God bless. Thank you.